Um, last week I shared with you um, along, well, the, the title of my message last week was The Power of God. And I'm just going to, I don't have, I got maybe 15 minutes, and so I'm just going to share a couple little things, probably just a little bit of review. I'm not going to actually even get into the things that I, that I wanted to share tonight, but it's okay. It worked out fine. Um, but um, I, I want you, I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 13, and uh, Give me a second. No, uh, chapter 12. And last week what we talked about was the love of God. The power of God comes from understanding the love of God. And I want to read in 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 31. It says, And God has appointed these in the church, First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, gifts of healings, help, administration, variety of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? The answer to all that is, is no, not everybody. There's a diversity and variety of these gifts, and they're as the Lord wills them. And the gifts are great, but, everybody say but, verse 31, but earnestly desire the best gifts. And when we taught on the gifts of the Spirit, we talked about what the best gifts were. And yet, and yet, I show you a more excellent way. I show you a more excellent way. And then he goes into the chapter on the love of God. Look at the last verse of chapter 13. And now... Abide, faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. There's a more excellent way. There's a, there's a deeper way. There's a, there's a, there is a way that produces in our lives, but yet we've got to understand it. We've got to understand the love of God and how the love of God operates. And to do that, we've got to, as we talked about last week, we've got to understand that God is love. 1 John chapter 4, three different times says that God is love. God, God isn't the expression of love. It's not, it's not that God, God attempts to love. God is love. So that means that love is God. Love is God. He, that's His nature. So, so, think about this tonight, and when you leave here tonight, think about this. That love is a person. Love isn't an expression. You know, people can, people misuse and mishandle the, the true meaning of love itself. You know, you can say, well, you know, I just, I just love that restaurant. You know, or I... I just love my boat, or I love my golf club. Man, I just love to watch the NBA. I just love. And really what that is, that's, that is an expression of an emotion. 
That's not the real definition of love because love is not an emotion, it's a person. And that doesn't really, you've got to really work on that because we've been told that love is all these things. I have a love and a passion for my wife. I love my wife. Okay? But there is, there is an emotion and a passion involved in that. True love is unconditional and it's not an emotion, it's a person. And the more we understand that, the more we have the ability to allow the Word of God to work for us. Now, I, I, I want to I want you to just look at, like I said, I only have just a couple of minutes, but I want you to look at with me um, I want you, I want you to follow, I'm going to give you about three or four just one verses, and I want to, I want to show you something tonight. 1 Thessalonians 5. Um, well, hold your place so we've got to read 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 6 first to make my point. So 1 Corinthians 13 is, is the nature of love and it's the attributes of love. It's... it's it's, it's who God is, and it's, and it's His expression. And, and as you go through 1 Corinthians 13, you know, love is this, love is that, love is this. It doesn't say that we're that, but it says that love is. And if love is working in us, then that love that is in us will cause us to do the same thing. And we've got to understand that. So I want to take just one, one expression of love, and it's in verse 6, and it says this. Love does not rejoice in iniquity or in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in the truth. Or one translation says, it rejoices when right and truth prevail. It rejoices in good things, not bad things. Love doesn't rejoice when something bad happens to some, someone else. And actually it grieves for when, when something bad happens or people make bad choices. Love grieves for that. See, our unrenewed minds a lot of times will get behind and almost, maybe, not, you know, maybe it's not our appearance in front of other people, but behind the scenes when someone else is falling or something bad is happening to someone else, it makes us feel like we're not such a rotten piece of whatever, right? And that, that's not the love of God. That's what has to change in us. God wants us rejoicing and, and rejoicing when right and truth prevail. We don't rejoice on behalf of somebody that's made wrong choices. We grieve, we pray, we stand in the gap for them. We, we expect to help them to arise to a new level. And, and, yet, and yet when someone comes out of something like all of us have, love rejoices. Okay? So, everybody say rejoice. I'm not going to do it today, but, but the definition of rejoice, we, we've, I've had different people help me and, and, and do, do the examples or the definition that it says in Hebrew that rejoicing is and does. And it says that to rejoice is to brighten up. Everybody smile. 
to brighten up, to leap, to shout, to spin around, and something else. Whatever it is. What? Shout. Whatever it is. Yeah, something like that. So rejoicing is, is an expression that is positive. And so love doesn't rejoice and have this positive expression when something bad has happened. It rejoices when, when good things happen. Amen? And, and so as a result of that, I want you to look at these few verses. Verse 16 of 1 Thessalonians 5. What does it say? 1 Thessalonians 5. And it's two words. Everybody say it with me. Rejoice always. Come on, say it again. Rejoice always. It, it doesn't say twice a day. It doesn't say once in the morning and once at night. It says rejoice always. Always. Not when we feel like it. Not when people do things good to us or for us. Not when all the circumstances are right. It says rejoice. How often? Always. It says something else in Philippians 4 and verse 4 that's pretty similar. Philippians 4 and verse 4. What does it say? Rejoice in the Lord. Sometimes. On the right days. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday? No. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, just in case we don't get it, I say rejoice. Spin around, brighten up, have a good attitude, leap and shout, and give God praise. Right? Okay? Then look at Romans 5. And verse 2. Romans 5 and verse 2. Well, let's look at verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also, verse 2, we have access, how? By faith. Faith and hope and love. The other, two are, the other two are vital, but the greatest is love. Why? Because it's a, it's, it's, it's a higher level, it's a higher way of accomplishment. But, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, of the goodness of God. Faith always is always rejoicing in what's been promised. Always. Faith is always looking for the good things and always with this expectation of what good is going to happen. And that's where rejoicing steps in. God wants you and I daily, as Laura was talking about earlier, as we're listening to the Word, it's stirring us so that we learn to step out in faith and begin to believe for things to happen in our life. And, and the more of the Word that we hear and the more encouragement that we get from the Word, like I'm bringing to you tonight to learn to rejoice, what, what's the opposite of rejoicing? I mean, 
complaining and bad-mouthing and, and, and looking inward and, and, and focusing on the negative things of life. All of that. God wants us to look outward and begin to rejoice and see how great that He is and how, how, how things can really change in our life when we have this hope and expectation of the goodness and the glory of God. It's real. And it's there to manifest in your life. And then look at um, 1 Peter 1, and then I'm going to ask you a question. It'll be a test. 1 Peter 1 and verse 8. Well, look, look at verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom, having not seen you love, though now you do not see Him, yet, believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Even though you don't see Him, yet you believe. Even though you don't see things, yet you believe. What does love do? Love rejoices, love rejoices ahead of time when things don't appear to be good with expectation that things are going to be good. Not only in our own lives, but on, the, on, on behalf of other people. You know, there's so many people on planet Earth that are looking for hope. And hope will never just float out of the sky. People are never going to see the person Jesus that lived for 33 years on planet Earth that died for you and I, people are not going to see that person ever. We don't know Jesus after the flesh anymore. Now we know Him by the Spirit. And where is the Spirit of God? In you. So when do people begin to see Jesus? When they begin to see, because see, if God is love and love is God, and Jesus is the third part of the triune being of God, then Jesus is love, right? And now the world will see Jesus when they see God in me coming out of me and these attributes in 1 Corinthians 13 flowing from me into the lives of people that are hurting, people that are down and out, people that are struggling and having issues in their life. God wants that love. God wants me to rejoice on behalf of other people and, and not focusing on the negative end, but on the good end and on how good things can be in every relationship that you have. I don't care if it's a marriage relationship, a parent-child relationship, a, a child parent on the other end relationship, if it's in other family members or people on the job or people in church life, or I, I don't care where it is, in every relationship, God is teaching us how to learn to rejoice. And I'm going to ask you this question tonight. What are you rejoicing about today? What are you rejoicing about in your life today? And, and, and the reason I'm asking you is this. If you're not rejoicing, and you're not purposing to really work that out and what that really means, rejoicing is not just, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Rejoicing is an attitude. It's how 
you wake up in the morning and how you look at life. And that's determined, number one, as Laura said earlier, what you're hearing, but then it's also determined in what you're saying. Because rejoicing, most of what rejoicing is, is what's coming out of your mouth. Yeah, it's brightening up. You know, instead of, instead of looking at people and getting people to feel sorry for you by some expression on your face, what about brightening up and by faith, even though you don't see the natural circumstances changed, maybe of what you're struggling with, you choose to brighten up and begin to be positive and focus on the positive things instead of the negative things. And the more we do that, the more we do that. The more you walk that way and live that way, the more accustomed you get, you, you get to rejoicing and having a right attitude and believing for good things for others and for yourself than to, than to focus on what you don't have and what's not happening. Because there's not anybody sitting in here tonight that at the end of the service you could come to me and tell me what's not happening in your life. I'm asking you the question, what are you rejoicing about? Well, Pastor, I don't have nothing to rejoice about. It's because you're not practicing. Hmm? I'll give you something to rejoice about. Is everybody that's sitting next to you breathing? Everybody? everybody? Okay, so everybody in the room is alive. Everybody say, I'm alive. I'm alive. Woo, come on. Everybody just lift your hands right now and let's thank God that we are alive. Huh? I'm alive. I'm alive. And, 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 and I don't have to live and be alive and live under. I can live on top because that's where He is. And He said wherever He is, that's where I can be. But it's a choice. He's already positioned you there, but it's a choice to live in that place. I'm asking the question again. What are you rejoicing about today I'm not even asking you what are you complaining about because I just tell you this if you'll start purposing to rejoice you'll forget about complaining you know why because because see if God said rejoice always what does that mean that means I can rejoice always or he wouldn't have said it that, that wasn't an option. Well, if you feel like it, rejoice. No? He said, rejoice always. And then the Philippians, what did he say? Rejoice always, and if you didn't get what I just said, do it. Right? And then he said, rejoice of the hope of the glory and the goodness and how awesome God... And, 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 and then he said, and even though you don't see it happening right now, believe anyway and rejoice. But I'm telling you, you begin to rejoice, and you begin to find things to rejoice about. I'm telling you what, it's all over but the continual shouting and rejoicing and giving God glory for what He's done for us. And I'm telling you what, folks, God has done amazing things for us. Amen? The testimony that Tammy gave about sowing for those scholarships. You know, there may have been some times leading up to the last two or three, four years that maybe she thought, you know, in the back of her mind, you know, what am I going to do about this? Or this isn't going to happen. But as she began to rejoice and continue to sow and continue to, to focus on the glory and the goodness of God, look at the result of it. 
well, yeah, but you know, that happened for her. But no, 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 no. It's all in your attitude. I'm telling you, it's all in your attitude. Yeah, you got to put out the effort. Hmm? If Sarah was a D minus student, well, she probably wouldn't have them. So she had to put out the effort for that, okay? But there are a lot of other, there are a lot of others, I'm sure, I'm positive. There are a lot of others that had same grade point average. But would the favor of God factor into that? And would seed time and harvest factor into that? I say yes. I'm not against anybody else. I'm not trying to take anything away from anything that anybody else has done. I'm just saying, we'll seed time and harvest in favor of God and rejoicing on a daily basis all the time instead of complaining. Will that factor in? I say yes. Amen? And tonight, I can't tell you how that verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 13 has affected my life. It's part of the nature. I can tell you how many times and days in my life when I, when I didn't rejoice or when, you know, have you ever had the feelings or you had an attitude towards somebody and you were really hoping that bad things were going to come to them? I mean, a Christian and a pastor and having that feeling and that emotion, you know? I mean, I've been there and, and, and struggled with that. You know, well, you, know I, you know, God, they deserve everything that they're getting. <laughs> if we got all that we deserved, there wouldn't be one of us sitting here. We'd all be out. Hmm? We'd all be toast. Right? No. Man, when you want to do good to people that maybe haven't been the best to you, when you want to do that, it only comes from hearing the word, confessing and rejoicing and giving God glory even though you don't see things all worked out, yet you believe in Him and you trust Him. And in your rejoicing, it changes things. Can you say amen tonight?